What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? The Divine Fits don't worry about the dreaded supergroup tag. They just go out and have a great time making music. I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. This week we spend some time with the new band Divine Fits, featuring Britt Daniel from Spoon and Dan Beckner of Handsome Furs and Wolf Parade. Plus, Rihanna is making news again. But how's the music? That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. The latest hot-button issue in the music industry is a relatively esoteric but important one. A newly developed bill is being introduced in both houses of Congress called the Internet Radio Fairness Act, which would effectively lower the rates that Internet radio stations such as Pandora pay out to artists. The idea being that lowering the rates would enable these companies to have a longer shelf life and make life better for everybody involved. The internet radio companies, more exposure for artists, and ultimately more pay for these artists. Hugely controversial bill, though. More than 100 artists, including some big hitters like Billy Joel, Jackson Brown, Rihanna, we're going to talk about her later in the show, Sheryl Crow, CeeLo Green, Don Henley, they all said, this bill is a bad idea. Kill it. They're basically saying to Pandora and the other internet radio stations that are behind this bill, wait a minute, your company wouldn't exist if it wasn't for our music. And now you're basically saying, help us build your business again by taking a bigger pay cut. In other words, give you another 10 years to develop what you've already spent 10 years developing. And meanwhile, we're waiting for the crumbs to roll down to us. Tim Westergren, the Pandora co-founder, the spokesperson for this bill, is saying that if you just give us a little bit more time, we lower these rates, but more Internet radio companies are going to be able to come into the game. Your income, your revenue will ultimately increase from these micropayments per stream that we are currently giving you. Now, we understand that essentially we're asking for about an 80% pay cut off the top. But in a couple of years, you're going to see way more money, way more revenue from this business if you give us a chance to lower the rates. We've heard this from the music industry before, no? This does sound like an old boss, new boss scenario, doesn't it? I mean, has the middleman really changed? We've gone from the Sonys and the clear channels of the world to the iTunes and the Pandoras and the YouTubes of the world, and they basically all want their cut. But it is being debated now in Congress. Westergren is saying if this doesn't pass, it means the end of Internet radio as we know it. Artists are basically saying we're sick and tired of getting paid less for our work.
classic rock or heritage acts have had mixed relations with this new digital world of selling music. Some have openly embraced it. In fact, the Rolling Stones rarely have missed any opportunity to satisfy their fans by selling them their 50 years worth of music. And now they have launched the first Rolling Stones official app. It's available as a free download from iTunes. Of course, it's designed to sell you stuff once you have it. You can download all sorts of content for your iPhone, your iPad, and your iPod Touch. Said the Mixter, an app that really connects with the user, lots of exclusive content, integration with social networks, and the ability to make a song request for the upcoming shows. Added Keefe, there'll be quite a few surprises in there. Some behind-the-scenes footage, some old stuff, some new stuff that very few people get to see. Meanwhile, the Stones are uh, embarking on this live 50-and-counting mini-tour with ticket prices once again setting new records. 150 for the cheapest seats, all the way up to $1,500 a seat for VIP seating. Ron Wood was questioned about these prices, and he said, we've got to make something. Ah, the Stones. You can take the boy out of the London School of Economics <laughs> in mixed case, but you can never take the economics student out of the boy. Meanwhile, it's interesting to look at some other classic rock or heritage acts that are not embracing the new digital technology. ACDC, long one of the most notable holdouts from selling its music on the iTunes store, has finally bitten the bullet and they are now selling music through Apple. But there's a long list of heritage rockers uh, and country acts that are, are not embracing iTunes. Still, Garth Brooks up there with 128 million albums sold, Tool, Def Leppard, King Crimson, Black Sabbath, and Bob Seger, it seems like they're still wary of this digital store. These acts don't really need to go on iTunes, Jim. Their catalog sales are still so significant that they don't need to bother with the new digital platforms yet. And I'm betting that ACDC jumped in only because they got a sweet royalty deal from iTunes. Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that's the song Flag and a Ride from the new album by Divine Fitz. The band has two lead singers and songwriters, Britt Daniel, who founded and continues to play in the indie rock band Spoon, and Dan Beckner, who last appeared on Sound Opinions as one half of that husband and wife duo, Handsome Furs. He was also a founding member of Wolf Parade. Both projects are no more, but he and Daniel, along with Sam Brown of the New Bomb Turks and keyboardist Alex Fischel, have a new album out aptly called A Thing Called Divine Fits. It merges that smart staccato rock that Spoon was known for with that raw live wire presence that Beckner brought to his projects. Divine Fits started very quickly with just a phone call. So we began our conversation by asking Britt who made the first call. Hmm, who did call that day? I was the one that suggested it. Yeah, you broke the ice. So Britt called 
Dan. I can't remember who called who, but we. Dan likes to talk on the phone more than email, I get the impression. <laughs> I do. Um, Old school. Yeah. And yeah. so he would, every now and then he'd say, hey, I'm going to give you a call today. Does nobody do that? Real old-fashioned. Nobody no, does that. Nobody does that. The kids today, they just text. Um, yeah, and, and so we were on the phone, and he mentioned that that Wolf Parade was sort of winding down or going on hiatus or something. And so I immediately just said, well, then we got to start a rock and roll band. <laughs> Even though you were already in a rock and roll band. Yeah, but I was having a little downtime downtime because we had just finished like the last bit of spoon touring for Transference. and But oh. yeah. Dan, were you receptive to this? Oh, yeah. Let's get in a band. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even think about it. I just said yes. Well, you're sort of a serial collaborator. Dan. Am I? <laughs> Am I really though? <laughs> Not in a bad way. I mean, I was in a, I was in a, I was in a band with another songwriter who right. shared some songwriting duties. Right. And then I was in a band with my wife, who we, you know, that was just a two-piece band. Right. Handsome Furs was Hans- on the show. Handsome Furs. But I mean, isn't every band a collaboration? I guess not, right? No, but I've never, I've no. never like put out a. As Solo. the kindergarten teacher might say, some people play nicer with others than, than mm-hmm. you know. I like being in a band, man. Like, I like, I like you know, like The Clash. That's, like, mm-hmm. probably my, in my top three favorite all-time bands. And, and that's a band. That's a real band. Or The Jam or something, you know? All for one, one for all. Yeah, everybody's pulling their weight, contributing, playing off of each other. Was there a musical vision from the get-go? Or just let's get together, was, we enjoy each other's together. company? It was like, we did enjoy each other's company, and I always liked what Dan was like on stage. I always liked his records, and, and I really loved his voice. And, you know, he's just a prince of a guy. So we, you know, <laughs> I, just, I was like, I want to be in a band with that guy. That's really how it started. The only time we talked about musical direction was to say, we don't have any, we don't have to abide by any rules. You know? mm. Yeah. So you got in a room, started playing. Did you have songs already when you started playing together for the first time, or...? Yeah, we had worked on one song over, you know, over the emails where I'd sent him music and then he sang on top of it. So we had that one and then we got together and we had some songs that I had sort of started working on. And you had a lot more material than I did. Yeah, you had some catching up to do. I had a lot of catching up to do. But there must have been some initial trepidation. You guys are friends, admirers, mutual admirers of each other's bands. Hey, what if it doesn't work? How do I let, the, how do I tell the other guy, you know, this, maybe it's not going to work. Never even crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me neither. Yeah, I just I knew I wanted to do it. I, yeah. I didn't really think, what if it doesn't work? I just knew I knew how good he was, and I knew how we got along, and it that felt good. Cool. What was that again. first song that came together? Uh, that was What Gets You Alone, and mm. uh, Britt had written the music for it and sent it to me, and I was in between a totally hectic, handsome first touring schedule. Actually, I think I'd just been in here mm. and, and talked to you guys, and then I got the song via the emails and put it into GarageBand, and what Britt was like, you should write some lyrics and try and sing over this, and what he didn't tell me was, it was actually a pretty difficult song to sing over. I had already tried many times myself. <laughs> and failed. And so then I stick yeah, him with I did it. not like what I came up with. Mm. I called him, and I was like, I, I was kind of stressed, because I was like, this is really hard, mm. you know? And uh, he was like, yeah, it's, it's hard to sing over, don't worry about it. It seems like it'd be easy. Yeah, it's like but pretty much one note. It's weird. Anyway, I figured it out, sang some stuff in the kitchen that, that you know, I put into GarageBand, sent it to Britt. He liked it. And that vocal take actually ended up, you know, on the record. Wow. Which was pretty cool. Jessica, please, take care and show
and, and I can see now how that song sort of sets the tone for the whole album, a thing called Divine Fits. The rather cheekily titled A Thing Called Divine Fits. We got it, you know, Sister Nancy? Yeah. And every, it's just about every song she does, she goes, this is a thing called Bum Bum. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Every song is introduced, a thing called. A thing called. So this is yeah. a thing called Divine Fits. This is Fits. a thing called Divine yeah. Fits. A thing called Bum Bum. There was an arms of me come. a different style, different fashion. You know? It's a horrible thing to ask bands how they got their name, but I was thinking it's amazing that hadn't been taken because that's a great band name. Hey, well, thanks. And <laughs> how did it? You it know, is, it how is. did it occur to you? I think just a combining of words that sounded good, and then we had a we had a big list going because it's something you don't want to just tiptoe. You don't you don't want to just like. <laughs> I was in a band before where we sort of were in a hurry to pick a band name. So this time we we just let ourselves take our time and um, what we had maybe what five or six really good ones and then yeah. I made some fake album art and put the names on each bit of album art and that was the one that seemed the best. We're talking to Divine Fits. How about a song, guys? Yeah, you got it. Would that not be nice? Would that not be nice? Sweetness, I gotta be 
Would That Not Be Nice by Divine Fitz on Sound Opinions. The band is Britt Daniel, Dan Beckner, and we've been remiss, Greg, in not introducing the other boys. Sam Brown on drums back there and Alex Fischel on keys and one very mean maraca on that too. <laughs> Harder to play, right, than anybody ever says. To get yeah, it. this arm has gotten much stronger. There you go, muscles in that yeah. arm. <laughs> Why the shout-out to Minneapolis boys in that tune? Struck me the first it time. It was reality. Ever. Somebody was, I was writing to somebody who was talking about how they were in Minneapolis, and I was stuck at home writing all these songs and kind of, you know, it was a little bit sequestered because I mm-hmm. knew we had to get it done on a, by a certain deadline. Only I was in Minneapolis. Here's the places <laughs> I would go. <laughs> Coming up, more from the Divine Fits. Then, Greg and I review the new album by pop R&B superstar Rihanna, and I drop a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis here with Greg Cott, and that's the song by Divine Fits called For Your Heart from their new album, A Thing Called Divine Fits. The band boasts two frontmen, Britt Daniel of Spoon and Dan Beckner, formerly of Wolf Parade and Handsome Furs. They divide the songwriting and singing chores, much like another classic duo, Grant Hart and Bob Mould of Husker Du. During our conversation, Britt explained how he and Dan usually split up those duties. Generally, whoever wrote the lyrics performed the song. Lyric-wise, it usually is about like that, although there's the song Salt and Sea where we sing together the whole time. Mm. But you wrote those lyrics. I wrote those lyrics. Yeah, l- lyrics is usually... I mean, I, there was the, a couple songs where you had some lyrics and I said maybe cut it back. Less syllables. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. As, far, as far as words, I don't think I contributed anything. Yeah, the song For Your Heart was pretty radically different singing-wise, you know, when, the, when, we, when we were getting ready to record it. And then when, again, when we were getting into the overdub stage and Britt was like, 
look, let's just get rid of half. How about you get rid of half of the syllables? And I tried it and, mm. it, and it worked. The decision to record in Los Angeles, how did you settle on that? I mean, you guys put out this uh, on your website, put out a really cryptic statement. A thing called Divine Fits was made with much excitement and energy from March through May. Recorded in Los Angeles in a backyard studio. What else can I tell you? Well, until somebody asks me more questions, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> okay. And now you, now's your chance. All right. But we did it in L.A. because I'm living there and because the producer, co-producer guy, Nick, lives there. And he has a studio he always works in mm. there. And by that point, Dan, Dan was kind of living with me when we were writing the songs. It just seemed like... I eventually moved to L.A. Too, so. How did Alex and Sam get involved? Because Sam's obviously in a fairly big punk band, uh, New Bomb Turks, and Alex, keyboard player. Sam, uh, Sam, I had done some recording with maybe a couple months before Dan and I had our plans to have our first rehearsal, and they, that had gone really well. So I said, Sam, you should come to L.A. when we get together. We need somebody to keep time. <laughs> and, <laughs> Absolutely. And I loved what he, no, I, I really loved playing with him. And, so, and that worked right away, you know. And then Alex we met later. Yeah, Alex actually was uh, playing in a band that opened for Handsome Furs on what was to be our last tour ever. and Which you did not know at the time. Which I did not know at the time that we were going to play our last ever show in Phoenix. It wasn't the first night, but the second night they pulled out this this Nick Lowe cover, Alex's band. Mm. uh, And this guy just ripped it up (laughs) on stage. I was like, what is going on? Yes, uh, Alex Fischel uh, with the band Sam Brown on drums, Dan Beckner, and Britt Daniel, Divine Fits. What do you want to play next, guys? I mean, we haven't figured that out exactly yet. No. Uh, just do Love is Real. Okay. Can we yeah. do that? My Love is Real. I was stuck on a Nervous, I could not get through. So, where's the chain that will keep us together? This much is true, my brother's real. Till it stops. But don't you want to cook them like old Mikovsky in a sea of blue? And if I was the king, she's the knife in the water There's so much to lose when my love is real I love 
That's cool. That was super cool. Well, yeah. that was rad. My love is real that's from awesome. Divine Fits. Oh, that's oh yeah, that's um, <laughs> so. That's the first song on the record. Yep. And it only it seemed like only yesterday, Dan, that you were in here with uh, Handsome Furs. That's right. And I remember the emotional investment that you had in that band. That you know it was a, it was it was palpable. That band and was I, my like. I, it was like being in the army. Like I lived and breathed that band and mm. woke up in weird foreign cities and got electrocuted on stage. And, you know. Yeah, you, yeah. you traveled the world with that band. And uh, I, I remember when we we were here, I think, when we heard the news that Handsome Furs was no more. And when I heard that song, I couldn't help but think, in some ways, you were talking about that. Oh, absolutely. I had a little bit of material before Brett and I started working on stuff. And then once I came out to Los Angeles and the band and and Handsome Furs dissolved, you know, I just I, I, I kind of deep sixed all the little scraps that I had before and just started from scratch. Love is real, like the bass line and the drums started before the end of Handsome Furs. I wrote it in Montreal. I think I sent it on my iPhone to Brit, but then it really developed when uh, after after the breakup of the band. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. it. It's, it's that's what it's about. Heavy mm. duty song. Thanks. You you've got the, you've got the band. You put out eleven songs. It was almost like you you couldn't wait to get this thing going. Uh, yeah, it felt a little felt a little weird to have spent all the time rehearsing, then writing the songs, and then recording the whole album without having played a show. Mm-hmm. That's really the sweet part of the deal. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, is it that kind of a thing where you want to be in a band that you'd be a fan of? I mean, it. it is there still the ideal band floating around in your mind, and I'm I'm getting closer to that maybe in some way? There's a lot of great types of bands, you know, but one where there's two songwriters is something I've never done, and I and I do think that Lennon and McCartney that would not have gotten as good as each of them did had they not been mm. working together, had not they not been growing, and so I wanted to I wanted to try that out. Well, and talking to you in the past about the making of Spoon albums. Mm. It seemed a little bit like torture in some ways. <laughs> you know, I mean, you put yourself through the the ringer. Was this in any way easier because you had a, a collaborator? It was there easier like for a while, and then the last month was... It was a grind. It was a grind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was same, back to those old feelings. We were the, under the, the mixing of it or what? Uh, we were under the gun. Yeah, we were under the gun. and It just... I, I don't think there's an easy way to, to really, really care about a record and be conscious and... Have it just be like, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. It's never going to be whatever for me. How do you differentiate between what you're doing for Spoon, which is still an ongoing concern, we all assume, uh, and and what you're writing for this band? Or is there no difference? Well, mostly it was just the time, you know? I I knew I needed a a bunch of songs, and I knew I wanted to do this thing with Dan, so this is what it's going to be for. It's kind of hard. Maybe if there was something that's a little bit earthier, I would save it for Spoon or... I don't know. I mean, I think we can do anything, you know. I think the next song we're going to play is fairly earthy. Civilian Stripes. Why don't we hear that since they just set it up so nicely? Nice setup, man. (laughs) (laughs) Go and do what you want, you know. Can always leave when the curtain drops You get tired, tired 
tired Out in the rain, damn past ever sky Trying to learn, but you know That you never get it right Right, right So is it good? Is it really good? Quiet night Early in the night You went walking in yonder Civilian stripes Stripes by Divine Fitz on Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He's Greg Cott. It did sound like it came together on an acoustic guitar. Yeah. You know? That one did. All right. So, guys, we've, uh, we're three songs in. We're mostly done with this interview. <laughs> and we have not used the S word once. Ooh, and uh-oh. I shan't do it here. Super group. <laughs> right? I do want to know, though, with so much in, in each of your, your background, so many musical accomplishments... Do you carry that in the studio? Does it weigh heavily, or were you really just having fun? I mean, it's the same question I asked Wild Flag. No, man, we were, we were having fun. I just, mean, yeah. I don't know. We, I don't carry any kind of, like, <laughs> I hope I don't have that much baggage, you know, in terms of yeah. I, I am the guy that made Seven Spoon Records. You know, I, yeah. I don't think that I walked in like that. It yeah. was really easy because I felt like, I don't know, it felt really like we could say whatever was our what, what was on our mind. We could say, you know, that I don't know, not really fun really feeling that idea and everybody was pretty cool with it we yeah. were adults do you feel the same way dan i i totally feel the same way i, I didn't have any like brett said i i had no baggage going into the studio either and i i think i learned the hard way making the second wolf parade record but you can't try and predict what people are gonna what the, what the listeners are gonna think like yeah. as soon as you do that you're you're compromising the music i mean i'm not saying you have to just make like a free form noise record if that's what's in your head but you know you can't I, I think predicting and imagine audiences response to your songs that you're writing is just totally counterproductive to the creative process like yeah yeah being in multiple bands that's kind of been in chicago because if you're not in four or five bands you're not you're not really <laughs> working hard enough that seems like part of the deal 
And it does seem a little bit more natural to be doing that, whereas, you know, in, in, maybe 20 years ago, you know, you're in one band and you come out with one, one album every three years and that's kind of the schedule. And it seems like when you're a creative person, it seems like that's not, that's not I, I imagine the weight of that must be a little bit more for you, uh, Britt, in terms of what Spoon, the expectations for Spoon keep increasing, like, you know, the next album has got to be this and that. And maybe this is just, this is a little more fun because there aren't those expectations attached to it. Maybe. I mean, I, I think the idea for this band wasn't hatched by, by some manager sitting in a boardroom thinking if we add this and this, then yeah. we'll have a big seller. You know, I think maybe that was the case with some super groups in the past. Chris right? Cornell fronting Rage Against the Machine <laughs> minus yeah. Zach. Yeah. You know, it, it happened because we were friends and we have a lot of admiration for each, for each other's music. And how could that be a bad thing? You know, um, so you have one more song you guys could do for yeah. us. Do yeah, you want to play Shivers or Salt and Sea? Let's do shivers. I've been contemplating suicide. But it really doesn't suit my style So I guess I'll just act far instead And contain the blood I would have shed She makes me feel so ill at ease My heart is really on its knees But I'll wear a poker face so well That even mother couldn't tell And my baby so vain she is Almost a mirror and a sound of her name Since a harmonic
Shivers by Divine Fits on Sound Opinions. We want to thank Divine Fits for coming on Sound Opinions. Thank you so much, guys, for being here. Well, we want to thank you for letting us come on. You know, it's a yeah. pleasure to talk in depth about music. To see video of Divine Fits and read the footnotes about this episode, visit soundopinions.org. And we want to hear from you. What musicians would you like to see link up? Leave us a comment about that or anything in the rock world for us to air on the show. Call 888-859-1800. Coming up after a short break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we're going to review the number one album in the country by Rihanna.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and you are hearing the number one album in the country, Unapologetic, from Rihanna. That's one of the big singles off the record called Diamonds. What this artist has achieved in only 24 short years is pretty remarkable. Seven studio albums, 12 number one singles, 25 million albums sold worldwide, five Grammy Awards, not to mention the fact that she's kind of the hook singer du jour for major pop hits by the likes of Eminem, Drake, T.I. She seems to have done it all in a very short span. One thing we need to note before we start talking about Unapologetic, though, it can't be avoided. She is the former and possibly current girlfriend of fellow R&B artist Chris Brown. Now, in 2009, most people know Brown physically attacked Rihanna as they argued in his car He later on pleaded guilty to felony assault and received probation in connection with that incident. Both artists have been linked to that event ever since. Their music has been parsed for little clues, little allusions to whatever is going on in their relationship. And hence, we have this next song from the new Rihanna album. It is a duet between Rihanna and Chris Brown called Nobody's Business on Sound Opinions. is Rihanna and Chris Brown with the duet Nobody's Business from Rihanna's new album Unapologetic. I have to say, Rihanna is a really exciting pop presence. She does it with sheer exuberance. She does not have a particularly great voice, but when she is paired with good producers on the upbeat material, it's a fun ride. That song Diamonds that we bumped in with, pure pop pleasure. Now, let's get to problem number one. Unapologetic, like a lot of superstar pop diva albums we've seen lately, is divided in two. The first half are the moving dance floor tracks. The second half are the sappy, saccharine ballads. Rihanna's lack of a real strong singing voice really begins to show when she is doing slower material. Problem number two, 
She's just button pushing with nobody's business, you know? She knew it would be the talk of everybody to get back together with this guy. Let's talk about other things she's saying. In the song Love Without Tragedy, Mother Mary, one of those dreadful slow tracks, she just says, what's love without tragedy? Well, Rihanna, actually, many people can have great loving relationships that don't need drama, and the fact that you seem to be addicted to it in many of the lyrics on this album are a little bit sad. For me, on the Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale, there are some moments that are fun. Diamonds, first among them, I like the opening track, Fresh Off the Runway. I would sample those, I would burn those, and I'd skip the rest. So it's a burn it. You know, I think it needs to be said, Jim, that she attempted to address this relationship with Brown because it's the 800-pound gorilla in the room, right? It's out there. The media was all over it. In 2009, she put out an album called Rated R in which she took on that incident and her relationship with Brown head-on without mentioning Brown's name or, or getting into any specifics. But it was a really deep, introspective, ambitious record. She's returning to some of that here on this record, or at least attempting to, after a couple of frilly dance pop records, which were basically nice escapist fare. Here she's trying to get serious again. It really doesn't work for a couple of reasons. One, the hooks that we rely upon from Rihanna aren't there. What's kind of disturbing to me about that Chris Brown track, you know, talk about sick marketing ploys. I mean, to duet with your abuser. And on top of that, it's probably the catchiest song on the record. We want hooks from Rihanna. We want pop songs. And we're not getting them on this record. It's fascinating because of the introspection, but it fails because of the lack of pop melody on this record. I, like you, I'm saying, let's give it a listen so it's a burn it for me. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible, we like to take a trip out to the Desert Island, and Jim is revving up the motorboat to plug a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox. Jim, what do you got for us? Well, Greg, my Desert Island pick this week pertains both to what we were just talking about, pop songs from Rihanna, and to a long article that took up the entirety of a flight from Philadelphia back home to Chicago. You know, I read The New Yorker every week from cover to cover, and one of my favorite writers in the magazine is Nick Palmgarten. He has written, you got to read this, an endless, it's about 25,000 words, article on being a Grateful Dead fan. It's great. I hate the Grateful Dead, all right? (laughs) I have struggled with the dead for my entire professional career as a critic. I've never understood the dead. I've seen them a dozen times when they were in their heyday. I've never gotten, I've listened to every record. I own every record. Baumgarten came closer than any writer I've read in explaining the weird mystique of that tape trading world. Not the albums and not even the shows, but collecting those tapes of shows that happened 40 years ago and, you know, that are full of hiss and weirdness and and why people do that. Having read and internalized and really respected these 25,000 or 30,000 words, 
I'm more convinced than ever that I hate the Grateful Dead. And that started me thinking about great punk rock songs with nasty lyrics about the Grateful Dead. There are dozens out there, but I think my favorite comes from Suicidal Tendencies, one of those pioneering bands that brought together thrash metal, hardcore punk, a little bit of funk, or dare you even say, you know, rap rock. They have a song called Pop Songs, which rails not only about the Grateful Dead. I hate Puff Daddy and his friend the Dead Fatty. I hate the Grateful Dead, but I'll be grateful when the rest of them are dead. That sounds harsh, but bear with me for a moment. But also the whole notion of pop songs. They go off on this idea that they hate all these fancy pop songs that have millions sold and teen idols. I hate Celine Dion and her Titanic song. At the end of it, it turns around that he really doesn't hate these things. He's envious of them. You know, maybe just maybe. I'm man enough to say maybe I hate the dead because I've just never really been welcome at the party. You know, I know you have, you know. But but anyway, in honor of this wonderful article in The New Yorker, read it online about the Grateful Dead. Here is Pop Songs by Suicidal Tendencies. I hate pop songs They think they're clever I think they're wrong I hate bubblegum pop They got the look But the music is not oh, I hate anyone that save us The first stage of this fun flavor Have a place that you can go If you like disco I'll take no Suicidal Tendencies, my Desert Island Jukebox pick for the week. The Sound Opinions Desert Island Jukebox is brought to you by Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark Bourbon, it is what it isn't. GK, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, it's time for you and I to make our list, and I mean the best of list for 2012. We're going to run down our favorite albums of the year. Meanwhile, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Thanks to Mary Gaffney and Andrew Gill. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana. Our assistant producer is Annie Minoff. Our intern is Griffin Waterman. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia, he knows a thing or two about having a divine fit. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. This is uh, 
John Equity from Baltimore, Maryland. I would like to say that since the sound of Payne's question was, what was a 90s alterna rock song that might be a good television program? I thought the first 90s alterna song I could think of was Candy Everybody Wants, probably most famously done by Natalie Merchant. Hey, why not? Like two broke girls, two candy shop owners. So Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Vince from Chicago. I just heard your review of Soundgarden's new record. And, Jim, I'm glad you brought up Screaming Trees because I think that that's a good um, band to reference in regard to Soundgarden and a little bit of their uh, derivative nature. I personally think they owe everything to the Melvins, a much better band, possibly the best band to ever come out of that Seattle scene. Listen to the first track on Bullhead called Boris. You will hear the song and the riff that Soundgarden really wishes it would have been able to come up with got the detuned guitar, the sort of deconstruction of metal. It's sludgy and heavier than anything else that's ever come out of uh, Seattle for sure. And I know Soundgarden's Kim Thale definitely said that Buzzo was a huge influence on him. I just think that that's a band that does not get its due, where bands like Soundgarden kind of cleaned up that muddier sound just enough to make it palatable to a pop audience, and thus were playing arenas while the Melvins are still playing small shows. Hi, my name is Kyle, calling from Maplewood, Minnesota. I just wanted to mention if, if uh, Jim and Greg or the listeners weren't aware of, a guitarist from, uh, and composer from the classic band Renaissance passed away last week, Michael Dunford. Renaissance weren't like a hugely successful band, but they, you know, they could have been easily as big as, as Yes or Genesis. They were sort of progressive and folk, and, but Michael Dunford was a, a really talented composer, and it's really sad. He passed away, I believe, at the age of 68, suddenly of a, of a stroke in his home in, in England. Um, but I just wanted to pass it along. Maybe you could play some Renaissance. Really, thanks. Keep up, keep up the good work, guys. Hi, folks. Uh, this is Peter calling from the San Francisco East Bay area, and I just finished listening to the uh, Turkey Shoot show. I must say it was really some of the most dreadful music I've heard in recent memory. I think you guys really picked the, the bottom of the barrel. However, I must take exception, uh, Greg, with your complete trashing of uh, the New Dead Can Dance album, and specifically Brendan Perry's contributions. The song you played... I mean, I can't believe, Greg, because you didn't pick up on this, but, but all those the lyric references to, you know, we have flowers in our hair and all that, and, and just the general sort of uh, hippie vibe of that song, well, that, that is 100% satire. We are the children of the sun Our journey's just begun Some flowers in our hair brilliant piece of satire. In fact, I recognize references in there to uh, the CBS TV show, the notorious show of the 60s, the 
new special called The Hippie Temptation, where Harry Reasoner says, I, I, I'm in San Francisco with no flowers in my hair. CBS News, without any flowers in its hair, is in San Francisco because this city has gained the reputation of being the hippie capital of the world. Uh, also, I listen to The Flower People by Spinal Tap, so, you know, the pompousness is all completely intentional and played for laughs, I think. In any case, I think you should reconsider that record. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.